We come now to message three, based mainly on Psalm 16. And the subject is Christ, the God-man, satisfying God's desire and fulfilling his good pleasure. Let's consider this for a couple minutes. Remember, our general subject is about our need to know and experience Christ as revealed in Psalms, in certain Psalms. And knowing and experiencing this revealed Christ we receive a supply to enable us to live an overcoming life in the midst of chaos and lawlessness. Again and again, I want to emphasize, we're not looking for a method, a technique, if someone asks how, we need to ask such questions. But God's answer is always Christ. I'd like to read one verse from Psalm 15 and the entire Psalm 16 to have this before us. And as we read, let's have in mind the different portions of the title of this message. Christ, we know, the Anointed One, the God-Man. We will concentrate on the person and the living of Christ as the God-Man during his time on earth. And this God-Man satisfies God's desire. What a marvelous matter this is. God has his good pleasure. Paul uses that expression in Ephesians. And we understand this to mean the desire of God's heart and fulfilling his good pleasure. So these go together. We know from Matthew 3, Matthew 17, the Father himself declared concerning his Son, I delight in him. Only Christ, the God-man, can satisfy God's desire, the desire of God's heart. And only he can fulfill God's good pleasure, which is related to his will. As Paul mentions in Ephesians 1, when he speaks of the good pleasure of God's will. God's will is the source. But intrinsically related to the will of God, is the desire of God's heart. 
Excuse me. And we need to know from this psalm, mainly Psalm 16, more concerning the God-man and how it was and is that his person and his living satisfied God's desire and fulfilled God's good pleasure. So the first verse in Psalm 15 asks a question, O Jehovah, who may sojourn in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy mountain? (coughs) So David is seeking, who is qualified for this? Who can sojourn? Who can continue their journey, their course, in your tent, being so close to you? And who may dwell on your holy mountain? Then the thought in that psalm is really Old Testament thinking. Those that fulfill the requirements of the law, And we know the only person who can fulfill God's requirements is the God-man Jesus. So we may say that Psalm 16 is God's answer to these two questions in Psalm 15.1. Preserve me, O God, For I take refuge in you. I say to Jehovah, you are my Lord. No good have I beyond you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of them who bartered for some other god will be multiplied. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor will I take up their names upon my lips. Jehovah is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. You maintain my lot. The measuring lines have fallen on pleasant places for me. Indeed, the inheritance is beautiful to me. I will bless Jehovah who counsels me. Indeed, in the nights my inward parts Instruct me. I have set Jehovah before me continually because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoices and my glory exalts. Even my flesh dwells securely. For you will not abandon my soul 
to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. Well, we're told that this is written by David. But don't you have the sense that this is really Christ speaking? Amazing. This is really unveiling Christ to us because when David composed this, he's not in himself, not governed by the law, his being is open. For mysteriously, Christ to be expressed and revealed in this psalm. And as I was reading it, I had the sense this is Jesus speaking. Now let's come to the outline and gradually point by point, walk our way through. Focused on Christ, the God-man. Okay, point one, Psalm 16 reveals that only Christ, the God-man, can satisfy God's desire and fulfill his good pleasure. Only Christ. To be under the law and to try to fulfill the requirements of the law means a person is trying his or her best with all the energy available to obey all of God's rules and laws and thereby to please him. And Paul did his best. And according to his word in Romans 7, he did fulfill, he thought, nine of the Ten Commandments. But one he could not fulfill. You shall not covet. That's something inward. It needs to dawn on us that we in ourselves cannot satisfy God's desire. We cannot fulfill his good pleasure. Often when in a meeting uh, saints come forward, they want to share something, and then they say, I consecrate myself for this or that. I remember one brother saying, I consecrate to, lit, to read all the life studies in three years. That is not consecration. 
That is a promise that he, all by himself, will read all the life studies with the expectation God will be pleased. He will be happy. These kind, this kind of speaking that I've heard again and again is not consecration. Consecration is when we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice for him to do whatever he wills in us and with us and through us to work in us and on us with us and through us to direct our steps. It's giving God our full agreement for him to do what is in his heart concerning us. Then the saints who have real experiences of Christ as the burnt offering, they realize Only Christ is for God. Only Christ can satisfy God. I consecrate myself to the Lord. But Christ and only Christ can work this out. He, the unique God-man, is the only one who can satisfy God's desire and fulfill his good pleasure. Instead of trying again and again and promise not to do that anymore or promise to do this all the time now, we need to focus on the God-man Jesus Christ, the only one who about whom God the Father can say, I delight in him. And we need to know this Christ and experience this Christ and allow this Christ to live in us and through us. A says, Christ is God who became a man, lived a human life full of the divine attributes, expressed in human virtues. Did anyone else ever live like this? No, only Christ. He died, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of God. He was perfect according to the law. And he could sojourn in God's tabernacle and dwell with God on his holy mountain. Because Christ fulfilled all of God's requirements, only he can be in God's tabernacle and dwell with him on his mountain. If we are to participate 
in God's dwelling place, to be part of it. We need this Christ to be our person, our life, our life supply, our virtues. Then the Christ who in himself fulfills God's desire will be the Christ in us who is now fulfilling God's desire. Be in God's economy only the God-man Christ as the firstborn Son of God with his many brothers as the many sons of God can satisfy God's desire and fulfill his good pleasure. Remember, we emphasized when we were considering Christ revealed in Psalm 2, how verse 7 of Psalm 2 is fulfilled in Acts 13.33. Christ was begotten by God through the resurrection of Christ to be the firstborn Son of God. And as the firstborn Son, He has many brothers who are the many sons of God. And now we have the enlarged Christ the reproduction of Christ. Christ in the brothers, Christ in the sons. Romans 8.29 is very important along this line. God predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. A day will come in the life of every seeking believer when it just dawns on them. I, as a person, am not able to satisfy God Finally, I'm going to stop trying to improve myself. I will stop promising. I will do this, Lord. I will do that. I won't do that. I won't be that. I will be this. The Lord patiently waits for each one of us, not momentarily, to give up, but permanently to give up our trying, our self-effort, and allow Christ the God-man to live in us, to be formed in us, to make his home in us, to constitute us with himself, to be magnified and expressed through us. What a relief 
this is. Now, from this point on, (coughs) we are looking at specific aspects of the God-man as presented in Psalm 16. As a God-man living on earth, the Lord Jesus took refuge in God and trusted in God's preservation. Let's remember he's living as a God-man, but he's living as a human being in a particular environment and in the midst of the satanic world system. And he was not ashamed to admit he needed a safe place, a refuge. That word is used frequently in the Psalms. A refuge is a safe place where we are covered and protected no matter what is going on, how much chaos, rebellion, violence, lawlessness. There is a refuge. And the Lord Jesus took refuge in God. And we also will learn this. We can receive help from one another. We love one another. We care for one another. But only God is our refuge. And then the Lord trusted in God's preservation. Well, he sensed the need for this. Brothers and sisters, in the present world situation we're all in, and specifically in the part of the earth where we are, do we not need protection? Do we not need to be guarded? Do we not need preservation? How are we living now? Will it be like a strong person saying, I will get through this. I have been through hard times before. I'm not defeated. I will tough it out. I will survive. This is self-trust. Self-confidence. You think there are not forces in the spiritual realm of the enemy combined with human evil? They couldn't do irreparable damage to any one of us, meaning irreparable during our lifetime. We need to have the sense of need. Our children need protection 
They need preservation. The Lord taught us to pray as we are praying for God's name to be sanctified, for his will to be done on earth, for his kingdom to come. He taught us to pray, keep us from the evil one. Our Lord Jesus taught this. Certainly he prayed this. Yes, as the appointed and anointed one, filled with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, he was victorious in dealing with the enemy. But at the same time, as a man, a human, with human limitations in the flesh, he asked for a refuge and God's preservation. We need to pray, Lord, preserve your recovery. Preserve your interests on the earth. Protect all the churches, all the saints, all the families, the young people that are away from home at university or college or in the military. Protect us. We are needy people. I'm thinking of that verse from Jeremiah 9 where God says, Let not the wise man glory or boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. But let him who glories glory in me. The principle of the tree of life is dependence. We are not ashamed to admit even to testify, we need the triune God. Point three, Christ took God as his Lord and had no good beyond God. Remember, this is the God-man living. He is divinely human, but is living a human life and he takes God as his Lord. Okay, God. Of course, this is written in the language of the Psalms, but even the Lord himself in speaking to Mary in John 20, said, I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And when we speak of God, we realize he is the creator, 
the sovereign Lord over the universe. And we are his creatures. And we recognize this true and living God is the Lord. And God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. Many times we have to admit we don't understand how God is working here. But he needs to be settled. He is our Lord. And as a result, we don't seek anything beyond him. Nothing can surpass him. This is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. A, when the Lord Jesus was a man on earth, he always held the attitude of recognizing God the Father as his Lord. God the Father. And these two designations of the eternal God should be very real to us. He's our Father, but He is God. He is God, yet also our Father. And He is the Lord. That verse we have there from John fourteen thirty one. the Lord said, let us arise and go, that the world may know that I love the Father. We know from Philippians 2, he was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. A God-man is obedient B, the Lord had no pleasure or enjoyment other than God the Father. We know from Isaiah, he was a man of sorrows. We know from one of the Psalms, he was like a sparrow on the housetop at night alone. But he had pleasure and he had enjoyment, not in anything, even not in any person, but only in God the Father. We know from Paul's word in 1 Timothy 6 that God gives us all things to enjoy. He created us with senses with a sense of taste. He wants us, he created man and put him in a garden, paradise. So it is not erroneous is to enjoy good, healthy food. We're not ascetics. What I'm trying to say is 
We should not allow any provision, any matter given to us momentarily as a supply or delight or enjoyment. Nothing should replace God himself. Then that becomes an idol, a replacement. So when we come to the table to eat, Every day, my dear wife prepares very healthy, yet tasty meals in the right proportion. But as we are about to eat, we realize Christ is the real food. The real enjoyment is to taste him. Now we go on. To point four, a very endearing point. Actually, I'd like to read verse three again. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent. All my delight is in them. Okay, all of us were saints. On the earth. Isn't it precious to read that Christ delights in the saints who are on the earth? Not only delighting in the overcomers, the prudent virgins who finish their course, living an overcoming life, and they surely will attain to the out-resurrection. But here we are on earth in very specific situations. And he delights in us. So the point four says, in his human living, the Lord Jesus had his delight in the saints in God's kingdom. And we know from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that God's kingdom is called the kingdom of the Son of his love. And the atmosphere of this kingdom as the Son of God's love is full of love and light and life. And in actuality and practicality, today in the present age, this kingdom is the genuine church, genuine local churches, filled with children of God, brothers of Christ, And we are in God's kingdom. God delights. Christ delights. And we also should appreciate love and even delight in all the saints. Sometimes when a certain one stands up 
to prophesy, could be a brother or a sister. Some saints inwardly would groan. Oh, they expect some something they don't enjoy, something they don't appreciate. They have a concept, a set concept of that person. Well, we are all still outwardly in the old creation. We are being transformed from glory to glory. And as I'm sharing this with you, I'm reminded of something that wise, mature brother in Los Angeles, an elder, Samuel Chang, told us. We should not see. Sorry. We need to see something more than Satan in one another. The Lord is aware of our condition, of our whole situation, but he delights in us. And he's the same now as he's living in us. Point A says the saints in Psalm 16.3 implies the church, the body of Christ. Whenever, as a result of fellowship in the body and the sovereign arrangement of the Lord, a new local church is raised up somewhere, and then there will be the first bread-breaking meeting, the first Lord's table meeting. More often than not, saints from many places gather there, This is such an enjoyable moment. Another local church raised up in which God in Christ delights. It's so joyful. B, Christ delights in the saints, the excellent people on earth. Why? Because they are the members who constitute his body. Well, don't you have a positive feeling for every part of your physical body? Isn't every part precious to you? Sometimes when we're injured or we're not well, We have much feeling. The whole body has much feeling. We are members of the body of Christ. Every member is delightful to him. Subpoints one and two. In Christ's view, we are a particular and excellent people. In Christ's view. Well, as we are maturing in life, in the context of the church life, gradually we will set aside our view 
our view of this person or of this church and have Christ's view. What he sees is excellent people. They're all excellent. Christ delights in God's people. He has made us excellent. This is an important point. It's not that we cultivate something in our personality, in our character. Then God says, oh, A+, you're excellent. Our excellence is Christ himself. It is Christ in us who is our excellence. God and God the Father and Christ the Son see us in Christ and see Christ in us. And he says, excellent. Point four, God was the portion of the Lord's inheritance and of the cup. In Psalm 16.5, inheritance refers to a possession, and cup refers to enjoyment. So I read verse 5 again. Jehovah is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Probably some of us were very happy when a member of the family or just someone that we're related to, when they passed away, included us and their will. And so, without doing anything on our part, we simply inherited, whether it was something in finance or a possession, a house, a car. And human beings, sorry to say, in their fallen nature, often strive for this and fight about this. But not our Lord Jesus because God was the portion of his inheritance as a possession. And his cup, his enjoyment, there's a cup. Even every week when we're able to have the Lord's table once again, physically, not on Zoom, no table, no read on Zoom, we realize this cup, it's the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation. And our Christ lived with God as his, the portion of his inheritance and our cup of enjoyment. Small b, God the Father was the portion of the inheritance. 
and of the cup to Christ as a man on earth. In Christ's human living, God was his possession and enjoyment. We can, I'm speaking just in a general way, just in our thinking, refer to certain possessions we have and certain items we have that are precious to us. That, let's say, uh, a brother has a favorite tie. Some of us have to wear ties almost every day. And out of the several ties on the rack, there is this favorite tie, a possession. And then there's a stain on it or whatever. You take it to the cleaners and it's ruined. There's strong feelings. But we need to be separated from attachment to this kind of possession. Or what brings us joy? We need it. We need joy. The Lord knows this. But a God-man has God as his possession and God as his enjoyment. This should not simply be a slogan among us. This part of our vernacular or vocabulary to be able to say God is my wealth my riches he is my possession because of the Lord's sovereign arrangement I don't own a house I am renting a house I'm thankful for it for the last 26 years, renting houses. I don't envy those who have the means to buy this house and that house. I don't envy them because God is my house. I mean it. He is my dwelling place. Christ is my clothing. Christ is my enjoyment, my knowledge. And he is this portion. This is how a God-man lives. So we should not try to perfect ourselves, okay, I'll just wear ties that I don't like. I'll just eat food that I can't stand the taste. This is self-destructive asceticism. We need to know Christ more, experience him more. And like that wonderful hymn says, about, hast thou seen him, heard him, known him? It's when we see his preciousness again and again we just things drop 
He is our portion. He is our possession. Point six. For the Lord Jesus, the measuring lines fell on pleasant places. And the inheritance was beautiful. Uh, We can rightly understand these measuring lines falling on pleasant places, referring to two aspects of our Christian life. So, we may use this expression, this is what has been measured out to me. In 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 10, Paul speaks of the God of measure. That certain aspects of work, where he would work, is determined by God. So these measuring lines are God arranging our life situations. And we know from Matthew 11 that after those cities like Capernaum have rejected him and he strongly rebuked them and told them It'll be worse for you in that day of judgment than Sodom. And then inwardly he can say, I rejoice, Father, heaven and earth. This this is what you arranged. They're rejecting me. It's okay. I have you. And in that same chapter, Matthew 11 He called us who are laboring and are weary. Come to him. He will give rest for our soul. He said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is the will of God. Learn from me. You will have rest. I've been learning, I admit, just gradually, more and more to be content with whatever the sovereign God assigns and measures out. So for 25 years, I made international trips to cities far away. Maybe 10 times plus visiting localities in North America. Now, for how long, he will decide, I'm just staying here. Amen. Someone asked me, sincerely, do you miss flying and traveling? I said, no. But I do miss the churches and the saints where I minister. So I miss being with you. I wish we were all, well, I don't say I wish, I don't, 
But how nice it would be if we were all in Jacksonville. No pandemic, no hurricanes on the horizon. But the lines have fallen in a different way. And also these lines refer to the inheritance. What the Lord has determined will be the future. A. Christ chose nothing for himself. He left his destiny and all the choices to his Father. This is how he lived. And this is how he wants to live again in us. God chose nothing for himself. He left all choices to his Father. So, please be willing to accept some illustrations. And let me put the question this way. Why do certain brothers and sisters not allow God the Father to choose the person He wants them to marry. Should we think we can make better choices than God? And about where we live. Should I buy this house in this neighborhood? If we let the Lord live in us, we don't, cho- we don't make any decision apart from oneness with the triune God. We fear this. If some decide to go or not to go to the full-time training, may that decision be made in the Lord. I am concerned, really concerned, when parents continue to make decisions for their young adult children. No, you may not go to the training. You need to pursue your career. If you go there, you can't get married for two years. I know some that control relationships. There was a courtship taking place between a young adult brother and a young adult sister. Very good match. Then the parents came in to the the son in this case, said, you cannot marry her. She was not born in this country. And you can only marry someone who's a physician. This is usurping God. If we want to truly be overcoming Christians in the midst of chaos and lawlessness, we need to let the God-man Christ live again in us 
and be able to say, these are the measuring lines. Dad, Mom, I realize you want me to go to graduate school, to go to law school, to pursue my career. But God wants me to go to the full-time training. I honor you. I always will. I love you. I respect you. But God made the decision. I must go. This is just one illustration. B. Christ appreciated the possession given by God to him under the measuring lines on pleasant places and the beautiful inheritance given to him by God. What God gives us is pleasant. It's beautiful. This I know. And more and more, the saints need to realize. You let God make the choice. It will be pleasant, delightful, and beautiful. Seven, Christ, the humble servant of Jehovah, was counseled by God, and his inward parts instructed him in the nights. So he was instructed by God in his inner being by moving in and through the tender inward parts. A, the Lord Jesus denied himself and received the Father's counsel, taking God the Father as his counselor. We need counsel. But notice, we have this modifier, the humble servant. Only those who are humble will really allow God to counsel them. Instead of allowing God's feelings to become their feelings in their inward parts and thus counseling him, they follow their own feelings. They may say, oh, I'm burdened. Well, the Lord will determine. Is that a cover-up? What kind of burden? Why is there no echo in the body? No one's going to control you. You say it's a burden from the Lord. When you meet the Lord... He will let you know whether that was from him or from you. This is very practical. Our triune God mainly counsels us inwardly from our spirit and our inward parts. B, the inward parts of Christ were one with God When God counseled him as a man, his inward parts 
instructed him through his contact with God. This is the proper experience of a God-man. Well, we saw that he humbled himself. And now we see he denied himself. Our self, which is connected very much to our soul life, is filled with our own thoughts, our views, our preferences, our feelings. And fallen human beings are governed by that as much as they can. But not a God-man. The God-man is really an open vessel and allowing God to guide him, to lead him, to direct him by transmitting the feeling in God's inner being to the inward parts of this God-man. This is mainly how he makes his will known to us. We seek the Lord concerning one of the seven feasts. Or I seek the Lord concerning the general subject of this conference. The choice is not mine. It's God's. And how does he make it known mainly through counseling in the inward parts, giving an inner sense. And then often, we don't know whether that sense is from God or from us, so we bring this to the Lord, present it to Him, and say, if this is from me, let it be terminated. If this is from you, let it be worked out. This is very precious. Point eight. In his human living, Christ set God before him continually to be his security. Verse 8 again. I have set Jehovah before me continually because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. In this present environment we're all in, but in other ways, in different kind of situations, the natural man is very easily shaken. So many people, even now, with the pandemic not being dealt with, they're governed by fear and by panic. I've observed this mainly among the people in the world but also among believers because something is before them rather than God. So in his human living we're talking about our human living too 
Christ said God before him. And God was his security. We all need security. And the dear sisters, especially as vessels, need security. We all need it. Right now, in our situation, we need security. A, he was never shaken because God was at his right hand. So wherever we are, whatever is happening, if we realize God is at our right hand, we cannot be shaken. Without him, this report we're receiving, this result, this news, would shake us to the uttermost. But we are part of an unshakable kingdom, Hebrews 12. Be in his resurrection, no, sorry, be under eight. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he was never alone because the Father was always with him. And he wants us to have the same sense. Even if outwardly and even relationally we're alone, deeper than we realized, I'm not alone. I remember more than once having to be in the hospital for a period of time because of this or that. And there I am, limited to the bed. But there's this sweet sense. The Lord is here. I'm not alone here. This is real, sisters and brothers. This is the way he lived. We're not trying to imitate him. Rather, we let him live again in us, his God-man life. Okay, the first part of verse 11 is point nine. The Lord Jesus knew that after he was crucified and buried, God would make known to him the path of life, resurrection. So I read the first part of verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. Here he is about to be crucified at 33 and a half years old and buried. But he knew, knew, not hoped, not dreamed. He inwardly knew what would happen. God would make known to him the path of life. And a portion of this Psalm 16 was quoted by Peter in a gospel message in Acts 2. You will not allow your Holy One 
to see corruption. So this refers to his resurrection. And as he is living again in us, and we are facing a very challenging situation. And according to our understanding, for now, the outcome may not be what we want. But we need to go through it. That's what's measured out by God. But as we live out the Lord's will in this matter, there's a sense. There's a path ahead of me called resurrection. Enemy, shut your lying mouth. Stop instilling fear into me. Stop slandering God. I'm walking through this valley into resurrection. This I know. And it's not that we try to convince ourselves and cheer ourselves up. It's the Christ who lives in us, who gives to our inward parts the realization. You will see the path of life, resurrection. A, in his incarnation, Christ brought divinity into humanity. In his resurrection, he brought humanity into divinity. And then we quote in point 10, verse 11b, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. This is the consummation, the goal of his God-man living. A living that fulfilled the desire of God's heart, accomplished his will. How do we put it? It fulfilled God's good pleasure, satisfied God's desire. All these aspects the measuring lines, the inward parts, the portion, the inheritance, the cup, the refuge, the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. This is where we're headed. And those who allow the Lord to make them overcomers by reproducing himself in them and continually receive through dispensing the supply that enables them to live an overcoming life, they will be the victors who as they reach the end of the course will be able to say your presence is fullness of joy. 
the Lord will say to the overcomers, as recorded in Matthew 25, enter into the joy of your master. Enter in. The overcomers enter into the fullness of joy. And it's the presence of the Lord. It's not a thing. It's not an action. It's a person. And here there are pleasures forever. Those who were willing to deny their soul life and follow the Lord, the Lamb at any cost, when they are raptured and are with the Lord, sufferings are over forever. Pleasures forevermore. The subpoints. Christ is in God's presence, participating in fullness of joy. This indicates that Christ has ascended to the heavens, to God's presence, in order to enjoy his attainments and his obtainments. In his ascension, Christ is enjoying pleasures forever at God's right hand. Christ is at the right hand of God in his ascension for the accomplishment of God's eternal economy concerning the church, the body of Christ. The God-man revealed in Psalm 16 our dear Lord Jesus Christ through death, resurrection, and ascension is now at the right hand of God with pleasures forevermore. He is there and we are here That's true. But we can testify that as the all-inclusive spirit, he brings the joy and the pleasure that he is delighting in right now. He enters into our being as the ascended Christ. I learned of this from Brother Lee, which opened the way to the Lord in one of his books. Ascension is in our spirit. The ascended Christ as the spirit is in our spirit. And this includes fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. It's a foretaste. Yes. The kingdom will be the real joy. Then there will be the eternal enjoyment. But this God-man, yes, is on the throne. 
with pleasures forevermore, fullness of joy. But he is not leaving us here without enjoyment, without pleasure. As we give ourselves to him and open our being to him and allow him to live in us so that we may live him by his faith, we will sense, at least from time to time, it's not only the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ who is in me, It's the ascended Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this foretaste of pleasures, of joy. This motivates me and all of us to seek you, to desire to know you, to experience you, to be constituted with you, to become your reproduction. The more this takes place in us, the more we will be supplied to live an overcoming life in the midst of the present chaos, ungodliness, rebellion, and lawlessness. Let us, let all of us where we are and as we are, come to the Lord and allow him to minister to us, to enlighten us, to nourish us, to discipline us day by day so that he will have such delight in beholding the living of God-men in the local churches, all over the earth. What a glory this will be to our God and Father. Lord, may it be so. Yes, amen, may it be so.